0: hey there film buds welcome back to the film buds podcast i'm your host paul
1: and i'm lauren
0: and uh for for those who didn't know it's easter time ish uh close enough it's coming up i mean we we've been invited to an easter celebration this weekend yes um and so it's it's easter time and this whole april uh
1: in this whole April. We're dealing with,
0: uh, <laughs> April holidays. And so we started that trend last week with April Fool's Day. And, you know, when we were looking at all of the holidays and available things to sort of center the month around, um, one of the things that, you know, did come up was Easter. And we we had originally thought about doing an entire theme, uh, that sort of focused on um horror because we're also halfway to halloween and so with easter being this month we decided that we would combine those ideas and do two weeks of religious horror uh which was actually largely sort of your idea
1: well yeah because we kind of we broke down the month um into basically like four holidays that like kind of sort of fell close to enough for government works Friday which would be you know when we were putting these out so you know April Fool's Day was perfect because April Fool's Day was Friday you know right there boom we started there and like even though there's there's no holiday on the 8th of April Palm Sunday is on the 10th and so it's close enough for government work mm-hmm. And then we've got Earth Day, which is Friday, yeah, the 22nd, and then Arbor Day, which is the 29th, which is also a Friday. So other than like this week, they pretty much lined up like smack dag perfect for, for us doing like holiday themed yeah. April um, movies yeah. and shows and shows.
0: Um, yeah, uh, because next week for our, our second part of religious horror, we're going to be doing um, Midnight Mass.
1: Yes, because we'll be closer to... Oh, I forgot about Easter. We're mm-hmm. going to be closer to Easter, which is like the that Sunday.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, totally skipped over actual Easter. But uh, to kick things off, we decided that we would go with two uh, religious horror movies, both of them from the 80s, both of them directed by, you know, what are now considered horror icons. Yes. Um, first up, we have... Wes Craven's Deadly Blessing uh, from 1981, and then we have uh, from John Carpenter himself, the curmudgeon, uh, 1987's Prince of Darkness. So that's sort of uh, the two movies that we decided to pick. Um, I don't think we really honestly intended to make them both, 80s or even necessarily it's that that thing again where like some of the some of the joint theme of the of the episode kind of was a happy accident you know how like we did elliot kazan double feature by accident oh
1: yeah 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 well this one really happened because um we had been looking through horror movies And, like, these two popped up, and, like, they stuck out because they were two directors that, you know, we recognized from other things that we liked. So it was kind of like this... I mean, might as well do, like, a double feature of them. And then it it just kind of, like, fell that they both landed almost in the exact same place in time as well.
0: Yeah. Um, Before we we jump into them... um what are what are your opinions or experiences with religious horror um
1: not a lot i guess is my is my um statement um i've seen the exorcist um i watched that in 11th grade english at the end of the year where we were just kind of like done with testing and we we (laughs) watched the exorcist um
0: perfectly fine use of time (laughs) no yeah um
1: that was honestly like one of my my random aside this this was actually one of my first horror movies ever was in a really long time because i was i was a very scaredy kid and so the exorcist i was like oh this isn't that bad and then i started to like watch more things but i was also in a safe environment because i was in school so (laughs) i was like they're not gonna show anything that's gonna be bad (laughs) in theory um but uh children of the corn is about like a religious thing right
0: um on a certain level i guess
1: I don't know. I've heard of it. I've seen clips of it, but I've never actually seen the whole movie. Like, it's really, it's really Miss for, I, I couldn't name you another religious horror movie other than, like, I don't know, Omen, but I've also never seen that.
0: Rosemary's Baby?
1: Never seen it.
0: The Nun? Nope. Um,
1: <laughs> this is, this I think is there's one game. called, like,
0: Priest? No, maybe, yeah. Maybe with, like, Anthony Hopkins?
1: This is... It's just not like one I guess that I've personally been like I'm going to dive down this this rabbit hole cuz also like I'm not very religious myself. So like <laughs> I don't know, keep it out of the home. Uh. <laughs>
0: um No, I mean I I totally get where you're coming from. Um the BFI, the British Film Institute has a a 10 great religious horror films list. Perfect. Um We've got the Devils.
1: <laughs> I've never heard of this movie. All
0: right, uh, The Exorcist. Yes. The Omen.
1: Oh, perfect. I'm doing a great job. Carrie. Oh, okay. Um, then Carrie. I will. I will. I will add Carrie.
0: The Exorcist Three.
1: Oh well, I've never seen The Exorcist Three. I've never seen anyone pass the first the one. The Prophecy. Oh no.
0: Stigmata.
1: Is oh, I thought that that was Madonna for a second in
0: that photo. I'm thinking that that's Patricia Arquette.
1: Oh, interesting. It was where the the mouse had been positioned that I was like, oh, that's definitely...
0: Oh, they put Constantine on here. <laughs> I love that movie. Oh, uh, perfect. Um, um, I'd call that a little bit of like a horror action movie. It sort of lives in the same world as like Hellboy.
1: Okay, okay, okay. Um, Is Hellboy... <laughs> <laughs> Can I add Hellboy? No. It's not a horror movie.
0: It's gothic, I'd say, more than horror.
1: Yeah, but that's a lot of... um. Del Toro. Yeah, that's a lot of gear. And I
0: guess gothic is a type of horror, but, like, that's not really present in... There are a few horror-ish elements in some of the Hellboy movies. Like the Tooth Fairy scene.
1: Well, yeah, but, like, overall, it's not supposed to be a horror movie. People aren't supposed to be, like, horrifyingly dying.
0: Red State.
1: No, never definitely never heard of that.
0: The Sacrament.
1: This is great. I think that's the last one. Oh, this
0: is the one directed by, um, Ty West, who also did x
1: oh great movie
0: yeah religious elements again
1: you know that's fair okay i'll add that one
0: yeah you know there is a certain religious type of text to x now that we bring that up
1: yeah okay so there we go that's my that's my maybe five
0: okay um no honestly i wouldn't say that it's one that i particularly consume a lot of either i've seen some of the some of the I guess, shoddier ones, you know, like like Priest with Anthony Hopkins wasn't really that good. Um
1: <laughs> I like how you whispered it.
0: Uh, I've seen, I think, The Nun. I think I've seen The Nun. Um, so some of those I've seen. Oh, there's like a whole religious thing happening kind of on a certain level with, um, not deeply, but with uh, the second Conjuring movie. Okay. Um, but no, it's not one that I've really really consumed myself because again like you like I'm not really religious so I don't really go seeking even horror movies
1: yeah like it's just I don't know I'm fine with just like not you know having it around really at all just casually not like a not like a malicious thing or anything it's just like I don't need it
0: (laughs) no for sure um the reason that I knew of Deadly Blessing uh, for a little bit of backstory, is I went to UNCG, and I took a horror class. I've talked about it a lot here. Uh, and on top of that, I also had a screenwriting class, several screenwriting classes, um, actually, and a production course with a guy named Matt Barr. Um, and Professor Barr was great. He's, um, a very distinct personality. Um, <laughs> and um, I really enjoyed my screenwriting classes with him. Well, it turned out that he had directed, or not directed, written, a screenplay um, for a, a 80s horror film called Deadly Blessing. And so it had recently gotten a re-release uh, from Shout Factory because apparently before that it was like Very hard to find.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Mm-hmm. It was only on VHS because the movie didn't do that well. Um, And so it wasn't until this re-release that was easily accessible. And so we decided to watch it in class and do like a whole sit-down discussion with Barr about writing it, the horror themes of it, and so forth. Um, And it was a great time, and I really enjoyed the movie. And so when we were talking about religious horror... Since I own the Shout Factory re-release, I was like, oh, also this is an easy win. Um,
1: <laughs> Perfect. Got to pull something off of, the, off of the shelf.
0: Yeah. And then on top of that, uh, after I finished college, I went out to L.A. for a little while. And uh, Professor Barr was nice enough to put me in contact with a guy named Glenn Benest, who was his co-writer on Deadly Blessing. And so for a little while I also worked with Glenn in these workshops um, where we would workshop script ideas and, and that sort of thing. It was a great time, and um, I, really, I really enjoyed working with Glenn. Um, and we hadn't spoken in a while, but since I knew both of them, I also decided to reach out to them. Um, and I'm still trying to get Barr involved, but I was able to get Glenn Benest involved um, and so instead of a clip, what I'm actually going to do is give you all the first part of my interview with uh, Glenn, and then we'll talk about Deadly Blessing. So give it a listen. You graduated uh, from UCLA in 75. Um, mm-hmm. You got your MFA there, is that correct? Yes,
2: MFA in playwriting. Okay.
0: Okay. Um, and you, that was also where you met um, Matt Barr, your, your fellow co-writer. Uh, just to sort of get into the swing of things, um, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit more about yourself and about some of your background? Sure.
2: Well, you know, I was uh, an English major in college. I always wanted to really not be a screenwriter. I wanted to be a playwright. Um, so that's why I went to, I uh, got my degree in playwriting at UCLA, my MFA. And I I knew really nothing. I mean, I I'd read all these great plays, but I I was never involved in theater, really, actually putting on a play or acting in a play or directing a play. So I wanted to actually get hands-on experience. And uh, it was a really good program. It was a two-year program. The only thing is I realized at the end of it that I couldn't make a living as a playwright. Uh, You know, there's only a handful of people who actually, you know, uh, make their livings that way. So I, you know, I didn't want to be a professor and do it on the side or do it as a hobby. I wanted to make a living as a writer. So I thought, well, I'm in Los Angeles, so I should try screenwriting because you can actually make some pretty good money as a screenwriter. And um, that's what I did when I got out of the program. I met Matthew Barr, he was getting his uh, bachelors in film. So I thought, well, he would be good to write with because he knows more about film than I do. So that's what we did. We thought, okay, well, what should we write? And um, I thought, well, horror would be good. I always loved horror movies, Um, but also it's a good, for a beginning writer, you can, you can get your first credit in horror a lot easier than you can in, in other things, you know, because in horror, they don't, you don't really need a famous writer. You don't need a famous cast. You just need a really good script. And that's scary, you know, and they can do them on fairly low budgets. So we thought, okay, let's do horror. And, um, I had read an article and I think it was national Ge- Ge- national geo about the amish people and that they live like in the middle ages you know they don't use electricity and it's um you know it's it's a very medieval kind of worship and they're disconnected from the modern world and all that and they have this you know they believe in um spirits and demons and things like that so i thought well this is interesting this would be a good world to set a horror movie you know Um, so that's where it started, you know, let's, let's do a horror movie set among the Amish.
0: No, I think, uh, I think that's great. Um, so I, I guess out of a little bit of curiosity, um, when you were planning on, on being a playwright primarily, um, were you interested in, in telling more sort of, um, horror centric plays or...
2: Well, yeah. I mean, I did write a play with a writing partner named Will Sims. We wrote a play called uh, Demons, which was based on the last days in the life of Edgar Allan Poe. So, you know, my interests were always kind of with dark subjects. You know, I liked I liked that. Um, You know, I liked the Gothic. I liked Edgar Allan Poe. I liked, you know, those kinds of subjects. So I think it kind of made sense to um to do horror. you know, plus the fact, you know, when I was growing up, those um, movie, you know, books like by Stephen King and Carry and Poltergeist and those kind of movies, I mean, I, I you know, I really related to those kind of movies. so um. I just thought, well, you know, I I'm interested in, in that kind of material, and um, it's also it was also it made sense, you know, in terms of the kinds of stuff that I like. But it also made sense, like I said, in terms of what would be a good script to begin with. You know, what could what's most commercial, and people always love horror. You know, so and you can you don't need a big budget so and you know the the possibilities of of for a producer or production company of making um, a really good profit is very high with horror because you've already got an audience that all you know that goes to horror movies doesn't matter what it is they just want to go to horror movies and you got a you've got the possibility of sequels so for both aesthetic and for um commercial reasons, it made sense to me. you know I mean i i I was just sort of shooting in the dark. i I didn't know much about the film industry, but i I sort of figured that part out. you know
0: no, absolutely. Um, well, and um, we we'll we'll you mentioned something interesting about horror, but I guess we'll we'll I'll bring that back around in in just a second. Um, so you guys decided to go and sit down um, and write this, write this uh, screenplay. Um, how long did, the, did it take y'all to sort of write the first few drafts of it um, before it ended up also getting picked up?
2: Oh, it, it didn't take that long to write a, a couple drafts because at that time I'm young and I was very enthusiastic and, you know, I would just write, write, write. You know, I was, I was just pumping stuff out you know um so i'd say it probably took about 6 months to write a couple drafts but that was just the beginning because um the way that we got it to the producer um max keller was the head of this company called intergalactic productions and he was just a beginning producer he had done a couple of things nothing big but he was a lawyer and he had a production company and I met his secretary at a party and I was talking to her and, I, and she asked me what I did. I said, I'm, you know, beginning screenwriter. And she said, oh, you know, my boss might be interested. And I said, oh, it's a horror movie. And she goes, oh, yeah, I think he'd really like that. So he read the script and he really loved the concept, you know, of it. The whole thing with the Hittites, the Amish and the horror and all that. So, and he also realized, you know, it could be done on a very realistic budget. You didn't need $10 million to do. It. I mean, that at that time, 10 million was a lot of money. Um, so we could do it with a, a minimal budget. And um, so I got hooked up with him and he, he wasn't great with giving notes, but he tr- tried to bring in different directors and people to give notes on how to make it better. And at the same time, he had bought this book by Lois Duncan called uh, Summer of Fear. And he needed a writer to, um, you know, translate that into a screenplay to sell it as a a TV movie. So he hired me to write the screenplay of that based on um, deadly blessing in the script and the network amazingly accepted me as the writer because I was an unknown you know I you know but they agreed to that and he got Wes Craven to direct it so that's how I met we met Wes Craven and um and it the the tv movie did really well and at that time Wes Craven was kind of an unknown too he had he had never, you know, this was before Scream, this is before A uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, all those big horror movies that came later. He had just directed a little independent horror movie called Last House on the Left, which was a hit in the um, independent circuit. But anyway, he directed, um, uh, was ended up being called A Stranger in Our House, and it did really well in the ratings. So we got him to uh, agree to direct Deadly Blessing, and he uh, and he was you know re- He knew horror way better than any of us did. Uh, so he gave us notes, and then he actually did a pass of his own on the script. So that's how we got the the script to be a lot better. We did rewrites. And it was also getting a director attached, which was, you know, once you have a director and you have a good script, you you know, you're, you're pretty close to getting it produced if, you know, company likes it because getting a director is one of the biggest, you know, the hardest things to do. So we had that and he was, you know, getting a reputation as a great horror director. And so um, there was a company that was just being formed they had gotten a bunch of money they had never produced anything but they were, they wanted to produce quickly five movies and one of the movies they wanted to do was a horror movie so we submitted it to them they greenlit the movie you know they liked the script they really liked Wes Craven and that's how it got made you know which was that that was after you know i'd say at least three years after we first attached Max Keller as the producer, it took us about three years to do the rewrites, to get Wes on board, to find the right production company that was willing to do it. And uh, it just all came together. You know, a lot of getting movies made is a lot of luck, you know, and the stars have to be in alignment. You know, everything kind of comes together. And in this particular instance, everything came together. And they, we had a budget of $3 million, which at that time was, you know, pretty low budget. Um, but, uh, you know, the great thing, too, about Deadly Blessing was it was all set in this one little town. You know, this one little Amish town. Where these people were, so it's not like it was easy to produce. You didn't have to go here, go there. You had this one little area. You had a farm. You had a barn. You had, you know, you had very minimal locations. So that was also uh, in our favor that you could, you know, make it for three million bucks. And we had a pretty decent crew. Uh, we had a pretty, uh, we had a really good crew, but we also had, you know, a great cast. We had Sharon Stone. It was like her second movie. I think she had done a um, Woody Allen movie, Uh, you know, just as a bit player. Nobody knew who Sharon Stone was, but, uh, you know, she's very pretty and um, she didn't really know. She was more, she was a model, I think. But everyone thought, oh, she's very photogenic and, um, you know, and she, she didn't play the, star role but she was one of the girlfriends and uh you know after that she became a huge star so you know we had a a pretty decent cast
0: no yeah i mean sharon stone ernest borgnine um it was definitely a a great little cast oh there was
2: lois nettleton Mm -hmm. who was a pretty well known stage actress and she had done a lot of you know character stuff so yeah we had um a lot of, you know, a lot of good actors. Um, And that's all you really need in horror. I mean, you don't need a big star. Some of the best horror movies I can think of didn't have big stars, you know? No, absolutely. So you just need a really good premise, good actors and a really, you know, something you hadn't seen before. And nobody had seen this kind of Amish horror movie thing. You know, uh, the only other Amish movie I can think of at that time was Witness, but that wasn't horror. It was, but it was about the Amish people. And I think people were very intrigued by the idea that there's this kind of cultish group living, you know, in a modern world, but they're, they're not modern at all. They live according to these principles, you know, from hundreds of years ago. Yeah. So people were intrigued by that.
0: No, I mean, it's, you know, looking back at, I've really gotten more and more into horror um, over the years. And, you know, looking at when Deadly Blessing comes out, 81, um, you know, you're kind of right there around the time of of the slasher really taking off in the horror genre. And so, uh, you know, Texas Chainsaw came out 74, Halloween came out 78. I think Halloween 2 is 81 as well. Um, and I think that, I think that Deadly Blessing kind of taps into that that nice storytelling that the that the slasher provides which is get people to a, a location you know and then just sort of build up the tension and and um and build up that atmosphere sort of around them and so I think that it fits nicely into into sort of what was happening especially with the horror genre at that time um, mm-hmm. and so I definitely understand why it was um appealing then and I understand why it's still appealing now because it also has you know, the isolation aspect of it um, as you were talking about, which works both in terms of the production value but also in terms of the, of the storytelling to build some of that sense of dread as well.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of beginning writers don't understand how important this is, that you can make a movie, that you write a movie that can be done on a modest budget. And that becomes so appealing to producers, you know, whether it's comedy, whether it's horror, whether it's even, you know, a drama that you, you don't need a big, budget, you don't need a big star. And uh, beginning screenwriters don't seem to take that into account, you know, that the less locations, the better, uh, because, you know, the hardest part in a movie is lighting. You know, every time you move from one room to the next, you have to relight it. So the less, the less you have to move a crew around and light everything, the less time it's going to take. So the less locations, the less actors, um, the better. We don't want to move around a million times. You know, people think it's a movie, so it has to be so visual, so we have to have a, a hundred locations. You know, but that's not true. No, we want as few locations as possible, as few actors as possible. Um, I mean, here's a, a great example is a quiet place. Yeah. It was one of the, you know, the best horror movies I'd say in the last, I don't know, five, 10 years. Uh, that had, like, basically one or two locations, you know, and a very limited cast. And um, the star was also the director from the office. Um, but he's not a big, huge movie star, you know? I mean, people know him, he, people like him, but, you know, he's not Tom Cruise, you know? So, um, that to me was the perfect horror movie.
0: Okay. Interesting.
2: Yeah. Um, because it's, it, it fits all of those horror things that you want, um, and, it, and Oh, and it had the one great concept that no other horror movie I've ever seen does, which is that the, the monster could have incredible, they couldn't see, but they had an incredible sense of hearing. And I'd never seen that before, you know? So that was a, a great concept, you know? It was a scary monster, as can be. But it could only it, it, its hearing was important, not its sight, not anything else. So that made it inter- that made it unique, and you know it was just very cheap to make. And, and look how how much money that movie is made. You know. Yeah. So, from a producer, you got to think from the producer's point of view. Um, what does a producer want? Uh, They don't want huge budgets because then they have to get big stars and it's hard to get a big star. So you, you want to, you know, think, think, you know, from a commercial point of view.
0: Yeah, no, I think that, I think that that's honestly a really, a really good piece of advice. You know, it, it can be so easy to sort of get, A little bit caught up you know a little bit runaway with with what the concept is but you look at some of the first films of a lot of different first-time screenwriters or directors or what have you and they're all pretty minimal uh productions you know clerks is all inside of the convenience store Um, (laughs) yeah uh yeah uh, halloween you know it's it's a few places in la it's the school uh, you know, those few street corners and two houses. Um, uh, I had a third example. And well, Friday the 13th was. Yeah.
2: Was another one.
0: Put them all out at the, at the campgrounds, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. You
2: so get I th- a, you get a deserted, you know, summer camp. And that's it. That's all we need, you know? Yeah. So, um,
0: yeah. And yeah, it also, I think, definitely helps. Um, focus in on your on your storytelling abilities also, you know, because now multiple characters have to have to track in some way emotionally through that whole period. You know, you don't just have this barrage of this revolving door of characters, you know, you have to stick with certain characters throughout the, the story. So I think it's also a good, good point just in terms of really learning character and, and that sort of thing.
2: Exactly.
0: The Coen's, that's what I was going to say. Blood Simple.
2: Blood Simple. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Very simple. Very simple. But you you need, you know, you need a a good story. You need uh, a good villain because in horror, the villain a lot of times is the star, you know, Uh, like in uh, Alien, you know, it was the villain that was just like, oh, wow. I mean, it was incredible. I've never seen a villain like that before. Scary as can be so yeah you or like a quiet place you know that was a very unique villain and uh you know a protagonist who you can root for yeah one thing that i've noticed in horror because i do webinars and you know i do a lot of consulting a lot of beginning writers they i help guide them through their scripts and um one thing i noticed about horror which is different than any other genre and that is that in in other in a drama and comedy and suspense and action all these things characters need some kind of a character arc you know they need to start one place and end somewhere else and that's what makes a great protagonist they're not a, they're not the same at the end as they were in the beginning right um Lethal Weapon is a great example of that, Mel Gibson. He wants to kill himself at the, end, at the beginning of the movie. By the end, he's joining the family and society. He doesn't want to kill himself anymore. That is, that's his character arc, and that's a great character arc. And great movies, you know, have great character arcs. But in horror, you don't necessarily need that. I mean, sometimes you'll have a character arc, in a movie like Scream, has the, the main character has a character arc, but I can cite you many horror movies where you just have a uh, a very likable protagonist who is in danger of being killed, and their whole journey is to protect themselves and protect their loved ones, and that's it. They don't change. They're not different at the end. Than they were in the beginning, you know. They um, they always had uh, they always had guts. They always had um, you know survival instinct. They were strong characters. They weren't weak characters. Um, but they didn't change it from emotionally, you know, from going from one extreme to the other, like you see in um, you know, like I said, like in Lethal Weapon or one of those movies. So, uh, audiences love character arcs, but in horror, it's not really necessary. And um, so, you know, that's just um, a unique aspect of horror.
0: No, for sure. Um, taking the, some of what we've talked about directly to, um, to, to Deadly Blessing, um, I think that, y- that story does i think that the movie does a really good job of of doing a little bit of a fake out you know for so long um you know that movie really does point you toward the idea that whatever is terrorizing her is very directly tied to uh Ernest Borgnine and the and Hittite the followers and that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, and in so many movies, the, the sort of bald, you know, um, mentally impaired, you know, figure would probably have ended up being like the reveal that it was, it was them as the killer, you know, this person from the society that was a little bit of an outcast. And then, you know, your, your movie does this sort of reversal on that where he's one of the, one of the first major casualties of, of the movie. Um, and I think that it does a really good job at, at subverting your expectations, but also regularly still leading you in one direction until suddenly the reveal comes at the end of who the, who the real killers are. But it still works so well because then you go back and you watch it through a second time and, and like any good mystery, you know, all of the hints and all of the clues are kind of lined up throughout the story. So that was Glenn Benest, um, one of the writers, uh, along with, of course, Matt Barr. The director, Wes Craven, also did a pass on the script. I think he wrote like a draft or two. And the premise is after her husband dies under mysterious circumstances, a widow becomes increasingly paranoid of the neighboring religious community that may have diabolical plans for her.
1: (laughs) I love that.
0: The cast includes Marin Jensen, Sharon Stone, Susan Buckner, Jeff East, uh, Ernest Borgnine, Lisa Hartman, Lois Nettleton... Uh, and West Craven alum, Michael Berryman, um, who played like the, one of the evil doers of, uh, The Hills Have Eyes, the original West Craven film.
1: Is that a religious film as well?
0: I don't know. I've actually never seen The Hills Have Eyes.
1: Oh man, I was really truly asking. I have no idea.
0: I want to say Cannibal Family.
1: Oh, okay. So it's more like Leatherface? Yeah. Okay
0: um so with that said um that's kind of a an overview and of course you've heard me and and glenn talk about it some dear what do you think of deadly blessing
1: oh i think that this movie is great um i think it has the like i think it has like a great premise um i think that it's doing some, some weird stuff, honestly, but it's kind of, it kind of works with the, the whole mystery of it, you know, who is truly causing the, the chaos, and where is it coming from, and, um, you know, because you've got this, this, um, this young woman, our lead, who is being harassed by the, by the neighboring Hittite community, and, uh, because her husband is is the head honcho of the Hittites' son, who has been disowned. And he's now brought his city wife to the farm that he was given from, the, from I guess, an, an extended family member. Because I don't understand why they would be like, ugh, oh, we gotta kick you out, but also you can live next door.
0: Or maybe he got it before he met her.
1: Oh, maybe... Mm, interesting um anywho but like they come back and it causes maximum um harassment and harangment from the the hittite people with just like i think it's um i mean it's probably not entirely accurate representation of a of a people i mean i don't know i've never experienced i guess any kind of this Thing before in in real life. I've never lived in like Amish country. Well, and I think
0: that's also why they kind of pivoted off of of labeling them Amish.
1: Oh, true.
0: You know they do technically call them Hettites.
1: Yeah. um So it's just kind of like X group because Hettites aren't real.
0: There was a religious group referred to as the Hettites, but they're not really around anymore.
1: Okay, so we can poke fun at them because they're not real anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, I'm sorry. Um yeah, so that's pretty much like the the whole premise and it's like there's a wacky neighbor and her daughter who like have no boundaries as a family, I would say. Um and she brings her like girlfriends, her well her girlfriends come to visit because her husband dies like in the first like 5 minutes of the movie. Yeah, he's
0: our first kill.
1: And um they're like you can't live here by yourself in this house. We're going to we're going to keep you company for a week. And until we feel like you're, I don't know, your strength has come back and you can, you can, you can get some sense and get out of here, kind of, I guess. Um, it's a really interesting premise. Um, I think that, what's his name, Edward Borgnine? Ernest. Ernest. I think that he does a phenomenal job. I think that he is um, exceptionally creepy and he makes the best, like, mean old man face that around like he's just he's really um his face is sunk in that direction and it's and it's working for him um he does a great job i think that he's like my standout of the cast he just really does a phenomenal job i think after that would probably be like sharon stone for me i think that for some reason that character got like all of the moments and it was like so strange because she was just like one of the friends it was being like haunted in her sleep by some spirit. Like, they, I think that this movie um, went in so many directions with like what the it could be. Like, they try to Scooby Doo us so many times in this thing where it's like, it's maybe a ghost, it's maybe the Hettites, it's maybe some third thing that we haven't discovered yet. Because she straight up gets haunted by some weird spirit and like goes crazy, and everybody's like, but people are getting murdered, Susan. That's not her name, but,
0: um... Lana Marcus.
1: Lana Marcus. It was something very Beverly Hills sounding. So it's
0: funny that you mention Sharon Stone, um, having such a meaty part. Apparently, I was watching the the movie with the director's commentary on, and apparently the producers were very hot on having Sharon Stone in it.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Um... The producers were also, this is just a side note, insistent on the girls whenever they're like hanging out at the breakfast scene and stuff like that, being in that ridiculous like lingerie. <laughs> I was gonna
1: ask about that. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that you brought that up. I had I had honestly kind of forgotten about it, but like while we were watching the movie, I was like, I need to put a pin in this right here because every single time, not one of them wore a bra.
2: Never no, that was never just the time.
1: a once but it was also it was nipple season all of the time and yeah, i feel they like they were
0: filming in winter
1: Oh were they really Yeah they
0: were filming in winter in Dallas
1: Oh that's and, that's and, fascinating um, I I still I'm, I'm I'm still going to say that the producers had a little like nudge nudge in that direction too cuz they were they were like in their 20s and they were wearing like i've been married for 20 years lingerie like i was, what the, it was so lacy and frilly But it was, it was like the step above, I think, like an actual teddy.
0: Yeah, that's fair.
1: Like it was like, oh, maybe, maybe she would be wearing this with her girlfriends, which is a lie. They would all be wearing oversized t-shirts and maybe some, some pajama pants that are too old. Yeah. Like, um, what are you talking about? Wes
0: Craven, you can tell, was, was not overly fond of, of being pushed in that direction
1: it was, it's, it's, it's really weird. It was like, they don't have any personality. So like, let's amp up the hot, except for Sharon Stone, who goes crazy. Everybody else is just like, hi, I'm hot (laughs) kind of personality. Um, but like, other than that, I think that I think that it all works in the movie really well. And you also have to think about the fact that this movie was made in the 80s. You know, late seventies, while they're writing this thing, and then being produced in the eighties, like it's it's not gonna be the the most like jaw dropping of like
0: character work. No, and and Wes Craven, you know, it it was still earlier in his career. Um, this was the first movie you know that that Glenn and Matt had ever written. Mm-hmm. Um. But overall, like I think it's a really. I really enjoy the movie because I think that, um, I think you're right. I think it does have a lot of really good atmosphere. Um, and I think it does have some good creepy moments Mm -hmm. and you're right. Borgnine does do tremendous, but Borgnine is like easily the, the star higher of the movie,
1: which is such an interesting choice because usually they'll, they'll go with like the star of the main cast you know our one of our heroes has to be one of our survivors has to be um our star where in this in this case it's definitely like our main antagonist is like where the money went for this and it but it's it works so well i think that like he he carries a lot of this movie for me that i can like and not saying that anybody was bad i was just i'm just saying that like they were also all kind of flat except for the characters that like obviously were more interesting to write about
0: mm.
1: you know um which were which were the hittites and and our main main papa hittite and um the crazy neighbors like it's it's like a, it's a group of normal people being surrounded by like weird and like that's the movie yeah well it's like, like on a, i guess on a structural level um but no like I I think that it, I think that it works. It's great. Um uh, it was a great ride. I thought that it was very successfully um creepy.
2: Mhm.
1: Um it's it's got it's got a lot of good like it could be anybody energy, which is fun.
0: No, it does have that that mystery element like like I Um, talk about a little bit with Glenn in the interview
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, which I think you know multiple there are multiple slashers that since like slashers and thrillers share so much DNA Mm -hmm. there are a lot of um, a lot of horror movies and slashers that call on that um, whodunit vibe you know, to go and make it this sort of compelling mystery that also runs along the horror film, like with April Fool's Day.
1: No, yeah, and like also the fact that this kind of runs down um, Wes's career a little bit as well, because like after, well, later down the line, he does the the Scream franchise, which is also a Who Done It. You know, you have a murderer, and this, and and in that case, it's it's more of um, you know exactly that there is a person this is the thing there somebody is out here stabbing people in a in a ghost you know costume whereas in this we never get to see anything and so it it really is it's um the same kind of basis but like um
0: you no know, we only ever see the killer one time and they're in like a cloak
1: yeah exactly and and is it is it lana's imagination you know mm-hmm. Is it all a part of her weird spider sex dreams that she's been having with the the haunting going on in the attic? Is that where her bedroom is?
0: Um, no, it was, she, in her, in her nightmare, she was in a regular room. It just had like an exposed rafter.
1: Okay. Um, it just felt like everybody else's bedrooms were like super close together. And hers was like on the other side of the house in the creepy area. Just write
0: it off to dream stuff.
1: You know that's fine. Um, no, yeah, I think that it's a it's a nice, tight, good horror movie with some like fun things that we haven't seen before. Um, and I'm not saying I guess that I would get in like the habit of being like let's let's watch more religious things because uh, li- religious horror I guess specifically. Um, but like I think that when it's when it's something personal to the people who are creating it, it's done the most interestingly. You know, so I think that this was really interesting. Like, I'm sure that that's why like The Exorcist is isn't as is a good movie. You know, Midnight Mass, as we'll talk about later, is like very religious themed. You know.
0: Well, and and you know, you talk about it needing to be. You know personal to you i think you know glenn was very interested by the amish people west craven had lived near an amish community and also grew up in a very strict baptist home um and so i think that you know he definitely can sort of relate to and i think that that's also probably why the film really excels there is because you know you've got the the written film but then you also have what's what's interesting to a director mm-hmm. you know to your point and i think that he was definitely very interested in what makes the film you know unique which is that it is kind of like this religious slasher of a kind um
1: yeah um and i think that that's like an intriguing thing to to get at because like i and i'm also i guess saying that like not everybody can write every type of 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 content out there like there has to be a limit because of our our different perspectives and and experiences that have molded us into the people that we are but i think that like it's always interesting especially in the in the realm of horror to what your what your movie is about is is at the at a bare bones especially like a a first movie is that a bare bones like an extension of kind of like you yeah yeah and i think that that works really well here you know with their with their personal involvement and, and experience with with the subject matter but also you know that's why that's why other horror movies that have like lasted so long work so well is because it's 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 self expression this is the thing that this is why jordan peel's stuff works so well you know he has a very like distinct perspective and an interesting one and that's why like you gotta i don't know i guess write what you know yeah write what you know that's Mm -hmm. that's literally the longest way around to getting to that point right there that's why we have shorthand Um.
0: um no i think that that's all totally fair um you know i think it's definitely not necessarily a perfect movie um wes craven talks about uh in the in the commentary, if you ever listen to it, he talks about um you know seeing places where he'd do something differently you know or or change something this way mm-hmm. um but overall, i think that it's i think it's a really really enjoyable film and and i I enjoy going back to it um every so often because um, it's just a it's a fun easy you know sort of movie.
1: No, yeah, and, um, like, like Glenn said earlier, um, it's, it's also, like, just, like, fun themes about, like, repression and, like, basically, like, this powder keg about to explode of, like, of, of repression of sorts. With Very these...
0: still relevant today.
1: Oh, yeah, completely, um, and, like, how without the, the right places to go and the right people to talk to, um, it can it can be harmful you know like the there's a a moment in this in the movie where um the 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 brother of the dead husband who who is the Hittite son john. number 2 yes john um is like trying to figure out i guess his place in like society and trying to like personally go through the like what if i do want to leave the house and the the family and like have this be my life and like starts flirting with one of the the friends that comes to visit but he's like betrothed to like a like a second cousin or something of the family and so he's like really in this like middle ground of figuring out like what he wants to do and like this there's this scene that's almost like mirrored I would say of like cause and effect basically is, like, the scene where he, like, throws himself at his, like, soon-to, his betrothed cousin, um, who, who is a whole, whole part right there, um, but he, like, throws himself at her, and she is not about it, and, like, runs back home and, and gets him basically, like, kicked out of the family. Sounds like a mob story. Um... But then he goes to, like, the girl that he likes, um, you know, city girl, and she's totally here for it. And so it's, like, this weird, interesting kind of, like, what can and can happen, but then, like, I guess I don't want to get too much away, but, like, it's, like, a climactic moment in both aspects, you know?
0: No, for sure.
1: It's, it's, a it's, it's weird. It's an interesting, um, dynamic movie as well. It, it pokes at a lot of threads that are really fun.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, that guy, by the way, played huckleberry finn in the 1970s film
1: <laughs> well well damn and he's
0: best known as young clark kent from the 1978 uh christopher reeves super movie
1: oh that's perfect um those are so that's what my i want my filmography to to look like i want to have things that people go yeah when they hear it
0: good old jeff east um
1: <laughs> is that his real name yeah oh uh, gosh sketch with him and adam west anywho um uh
0: but no so i think that i think that that's all really fair um and and horror so often taps into those ideas of you know the return of the repressed you know that's what carpenter was kind of wanting to go for with halloween um and so i think that it plays Especially, you know, it it automatically amplifies that theme the moment that you put it into any kind of strict codified, you know, religious context.
1: Oh yeah, it's that's why Carrie works so mm-hmm. well. You know, it's um, it's 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 rebellion from the way. Yeah. And. It's it's so it's it's such an interesting thing because I feel you know it's it's so relatable we've all we've all been there with something,
0: yeah. um, and so I I think that that again is is definitely to your point the thing that also does really work well for it and and makes some of it so interesting. Uh, so if you had to give Deadly Blessing a score out of five, what would you give it?
1: Um, I think I'm going to give Deadly Blessing a four. Okay. Um. I, I really, I really enjoy it. Um, I could, I could, I could tweak some choices for sure. Um, but for the most part, like, I think that it's a really solid, like, well done movie, honestly. Um, is this the one where like at the end?
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. My brain keeps forgetting about that because it's, it's so shocking um but i'll never tell (laughs) um but yeah no i think i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with a i'm gonna stick with a four i think that it's other other than that the the very very end of the movie um i think that this movie is like a slam slam dunk the funk
0: no that's fair i'll go three and a half okay that's Um, fair now that we've gotten past the score to inform uh the listeners one We're about to do another part of the interview with Glenn, and that has spoilers aplenty. Yeah, it Uh, does. And two, uh, I also wanted to talk about that ending that Lauren referenced. (laughs) So the movie has only vaguely touched at this idea that it's a supernatural element at play. And really it seems more like a hysteria kind of like heightened by the religious terror of the of the area. And at the very end of the movie the producers decided that like they needed a spicier ending. <laughs> and so they decide to have the main character survive the whole movie, send her friend away, go back inside, close the door, where she's then visited by the ghost of her murdered husband. Who gives her a ghostly warning, and then she gets consumed by a dragon demon that bursts out of the floorboards and drags her to hell.
1: (laughs) That's right! That's right! That's exactly what happens, and it comes out of literal nowhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And honestly, I had forgotten, because we watched um, both of these in the same day, and like we've watched a lot of horror movies and like sometimes the mind just likes to play tricks on you and for this one that that ending i was like trying to like play pin the tail on the donkey with this ending in the movies that we've watched recently going no that's not right is it here oh gosh no that doesn't feel right either that's why i had to ask you because i was like wait is it this
2: one
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh it's it's so it's it's so the ju-
0: extra thumb of an ending
1: it's it's so strange. Oh my goodness. Um it's such a choice. <laughs> the more I think about it, the funnier it gets. Mm-hmm. Honestly. Um
0: cuz it just ruins the whole tone.
1: Yeah, because it's like
0: nice, serene, peaceful moment she's survived.
1: I think that they were trying to get like one of those moments where it's like the the evil never stops kind of thing like even though the killer has been caught at this point and she can finally live at peace that like it's kind of like scream like anybody can be the next terror to her and like what if it is um you know the uh, papa joe hittite or whatever
0: yeah but then she gets literally consumed into hell
1: yeah yeah but i think that that was what they were trying to do but they were like let's let's (laughs) (laughs) jack it up to 11 (laughs)
0: ruin the whole damn movie
1: oh god they were so afraid they were like what if it's terrible
0: what if what if it's boring at the end you know we need to give them one last scare
1: it wasn't even scary what's the thing We need to give
0: them one last scare
1: (laughs) it literally (laughs) just made me go why
0: yeah (laughs) um no i think I think it's a pretty, pretty insane choice and I certainly don't get it. Um,
1: Um, I do have to talk very briefly about the poster mm. for this movie that has, I don't know what I was expecting from the advertisement to what the movie actually was, but I think that the art on the re-release is like a way better picture of like what, what movie you're actually getting because on this, I, it could have been a, it could have been a vampire movie for all I knew. Because it's the scene from the dream, but it's also, like, they've done something with her hair. They've made it darker. She's She looks like some undead beauty or something, and, like, these hands... Those could be
0: vampire hands.
1: Exactly! And it's called Deadly Blessing. Like, it could have been a play on being, a zombie, um, like, a vampire. Undead,
0: like, yeah. Deadly yeah, Blessing.
1: exactly. So I really had no idea, and it's really sexy, and I think that that's, that's strange, but also not unlike this movie for some it's because of all the lingerie um but just just such a choice you know i had truly no idea what this movie was about from the from the poster for it
0: no that's i mean it it definitely i would say gives gives a vampire feeling
1: yeah all the way her hair is black and in the entire movie sharon stone is a blonde
0: no, they they solidly do I think try to make it look more like it's um Marin Jensen our yeah. our main character just more it's, than Sharon Stone.
1: It's like they were like, "Oh god, people know that Sharon's going to be in this. Maybe we should have made her the lead." I don't know.
0: No. Um I I think that is probably fair. It's also, based on what I know about the producers, based on
1: that that little blip.
0: What we've heard that they intended on adding, and the fact that they wanted Sharon Stone so badly. I think it's pretty safe to say that they wanted to sell Sex Appeal and Sharon Stone. Yeah. To sell the movie.
1: Absolutely craziness. Um anywho.
0: Yeah. Um Moving on, we're going to now play the second part of, uh, the interview with Glenn and then we're actually going to go ahead and jump into our discussion of the next film, Prince of Darkness. So once again,
2: here's Glenn. It's, it's great to have, you know, a mystery, uh, who's, who's doing this? You know, I think, um, that reminds me of Scream where, in Scream, that actually was a student of mine, Kevin Williamson, was in a writing group that I, was, um, that I had. I had really good writers in this writers group. I thought, you know, as well as being a professional screenwriter, I always you know, would te- teach workshops and I would have writing groups. And I had an amazing writing group that uh, Melissa, uh, Melissa Rosenberg was in Uh, she ended up becoming a huge screenwriter of the Twilight movies and she was one of the producers and uh, executive producers on Dexter and she became huge. And the other one was Kevin Williamson, who wrote Scream and all those kind of movies. Uh, He was in that group. So um, anyway, we we worked on Scream. And I thought one of the things about Screen that was so interesting that instead of having one killer, you had two. You know, it was these two guys who were doing this. And I thought that's different. That's a bit of a twist. So, you know, it's really great to have some kind of a twist. You know, I I keep asking people that are writing horror, um, you know, what's different about this than any other horror movie? And you need something different just like in a quiet place like in scream a nightmare on elm street you know this guy exists in your dreams and your nightmares you know i mean you need that because like i say we've seen so many horror movies and the horror you know audience is is just huge probably bigger than ever today and they'll go to see anything but they want something different they don 't want to see the same old slasher movie you know they want to see something that they haven 't seen before um, so you know you 're always looking for that and like I said we we found out with deadly blessing just because of the um, the group you know the the Amish Hittite people uh, which which had you know people knew very little today, we know a lot about them, but at that point, no. People didn't know. That's when I read the National Geo article about them. And I went, wow, can you imagine these people live like this? And they're, you know, and they actually do quite well. They're really good farmers. They, you know, but they will not um, accept anybody that questions them in the group. They'll throw them out just like Mormons will or any cult does. You know, when you question them, they are, they shut down and they'll, you know, they'll throw you out. So that's, that raises the stakes of being in that group and doing something that's not absolutely in the tradition of the Amish. And, and if you've lived there your whole life, that can be a death sentence. I mean, that's all you know. So to be thrown out into the modern world, I mean, would be scary as can be, right?
0: Yeah. Um, and, you know, the the horror genre is also so much about, you know, transgressive topics that taking this ultra sort of repressive group um and putting them into a horror genre uh, a horror film does open up a lot of opportunities to to play with how that sort of rigid structure and how that sort of um mindset and also how familiarly, you know, sort of connected it is. Can end up becoming something that's horrific, you know. And so I think that that works really well um, in in the in the film.
2: Yeah, that's another part of horror. Like I said, at one point I did a webinar on horror, and I re- and I reread and you know saw all, a bunch of horror movies just to say, okay, what is it specific about horror, right? And one of the things, not only do you not need a protagonist that has a character arc, but another thing about it, which is unique is that the more you repress something, the more violently it comes out when it, when it does, right? When you can't hold it down anymore. So when you have a very repressive group or family, you know, who keeps pushing it down, pushing it down, not allowing it to be said or to be explored or anything like that, when it does emerge, it comes out in really horrific, violent ways. So um, that worked perfectly for the Hittites because they're so repressive. You know, sex and all that. I mean, they can't deal with any of that, you know? Yeah. And they can't deal with the modern world. So when it does, you know, and or, you know, our the the girl who ends up becoming the real killer and her mother, I mean, she's being repressed because she's actually not a girl. So she's being repressed in such a incredibly, you know, violent way, such a repressive way that when, when it does emerge, it comes out in you know this these horrific ways. So rep- repressing something violently, in a, in a, you know, that's a good theme for horror.
0: No, absolutely, um, and. You know, you were, you were talking about a likable protagonist, a likable character, and whether or not that they need to have an arc. Um, I think that the, the lead of, of Deadly Blessing, Martha, definitely has, she's got likability. Um, and I think that that's also established just by putting her in like, you know, a state of tragedy early on. You know, the audience wants to sympathize with her, I think, and empathize with her because her husband passes away. Um, And so you sort of real quickly build this empathy and sympathy um, for her very quickly in the movie.
2: But yeah, they're both pretty, I mean, that was the key is making them both sympathetic, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: you know. Um, And I think part of it was just Lois Nettleton is a very sympathetic actress, you know. So um, that helped a lot. So the, the, the real villains are very sympathetic the who you think are the villains are not sympathetic and um, you know and that you know fools the audience.
0: Do you do you have any, I guess you've already given honestly a lot of a lot of free advice and wisdom. Um, do you have any sort of last pieces of advice or last thoughts that you the last thing out? I have to say
2: about all this yeah. is you're only as good as the feedback you're getting. OK, so when I was a beginning writer, I'd, you know, I'd ask my girlfriend to give me read my script, you know, or, or just a friend who knew nothing about film or nothing about what makes a great screenplay. And they would and I would get feedback that was a lot of times just terrible. And I would do a draft and it would it made the script even worse. So you really need to work with somebody. And, you know, I was lucky to meet Wes Craven. And he gave me great feedback because he knew what he was doing. He was in the business and he had done horror and he knew what made a great horror movie. So everybody needs a Wes Craven. You need somebody who knows screenplays, who knows how to critique them, who knows exactly how to get to the core of what's not working and then help you to brainstorm and coming up with better solutions. And you don't, you know, you don't. If you're, if you don't go to another beginning screenwriter to get notes on your screenplay. That that's ridiculous. If you were, if you were trying to be a great pianist, would you would you work with a great mentor teacher who had already, you know, um, done concerts and knew everything about playing the piano, or would you go to another beginning pianist? No, you'd go to somebody who knows what they're doing and can give you great advice, great feedback. You're only as good as the feedback you're getting. And everybody needs great feedback. Nobody gets it right on the first go-round. Nobody. I don't care how talented they are. You know, you need great feedback. So go to professionals who know how to professionally critique what you're doing And help you to write a better script. Don't give it, you know, I have a a group on Facebook. It's called the Secrets of Screenwriting Group. And I always get these posts from beginning screenwriters saying, who can read my script and give me notes? And I'm going like, why would you do that? Why would you ask another beginning screenwriter to give you notes on your screenplay? That's asking for trouble. Go to somebody who's trained to do that and it takes a lot of knowledge it takes a lot of work to get to the point where you can you know really zero in on exactly what the problems are and then help the person to you know fix those problems that doesn't come from just graduating from NYU film school you know that comes from a lot of work so i'm just you know amazed that Beginning writers want other beginning writers to help them with their scripts. I mean, that's, that's absurd. No, no athlete goes to, they, athletes go to professional coaches who have worked with, in that sport for many years. And they know exactly how to make, like in tennis, they know exactly how to help, um, you know, somebody like Rafa become a great tennis player. They don't go to other beginning tennis players to become their coach. You know, so you just have to be very careful who you're asking advice and notes from because you need great feedback.
0: No, I think, I think that that's, I think that that's another really well said point. Um, You know, it is, it is, one thing to have learned you know in school certain skills it's another thing to have practical experience about you know the transitionary period of the first draft to the moment that it's filmed you know and edited um to to help you look at what's going on in the mechanics of of the script itself so i think that that's a really really fair point um Thank you so much for agreeing to come on.
2: Well, it was, it was a lot of fun. I, it was nice going back to those golden days of deadly blessing.
0: So that was Glenn. Um, we hope that you enjoyed having him on. It was a great time talking with him. Honestly, mm-hmm. it, had been, um, it had been, like I said, a long time. Uh, it had been like six years since I had talked to Glenn. So it was nice to see him again. He looks well. <clears throat> And we, we definitely thank him for, for coming on. Yes! Um, and, and being so, so gracious and generous with his time. Um, moving on, we're now going to Prince of Darkness, which came out in 1987. It is written and directed by John Carpenter. Uh, a group of graduate students and scientists uncover an ancient canister in an abandoned church, but when they open the container... They inadvertently unleash a strange liquid and an evil force on all humanity. And it stars Donald Pleasance, uh, Lisa Blount, uh, Jameson Parker, Victor Wong, Dennis Dunn, uh, and most importantly, Alice Cooper. Um, <laughs> wait,
1: wait, wait, what was his name?
0: Street Schizo.
1: <laughs> Perfect.
0: Um, who I saw it in, in co- <clears throat> who I saw in concert with Nick Delgadillo.
1: Absolutely wonderful. He just plays like a bum on the street.
0: Yeah. Uh, so dear, since again they've heard me and Glenn talk for a while. Why well, don't you take us away on Prince of Darkness?
1: Okay. Um, Prince of Darkness <laughs> is it it's like for me, um, what if we took like Indiana Jones and put put Satan in it? You know what I mean, like they bring so um also, I love the fact that the the thing blatantly lies about them opening it it just it just kind of does that like they don't actually get to open it they they talk about it all the time how it's locked and they can't figure out how to get it opened. It just starts to like become more powerful and that's how it opens but anywho um this movie for me is is very much um they they bring a bunch of people who are who are the best of their fields and like graduate students and all these smart people who study things like ancient you know sanskrit and they bring them all to this place and don't tell anybody what's going on and they're yeah, like a you lot gotta... of them are
0: also the the students of like a like a moral philosophy professor yeah is that what
1: he is i don't i don't even know they're they all had like and i'm the botanist <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah it's it's or like atlantis where they're like the best of their their abilities going to go and find atlantis but this time it is to try and figure out what is in this weird canister of ancient green ooze and whether or not it's dangerous, basically, for a really long time until it starts to, like, leak up onto the ceiling and everybody's like, hmm, maybe we should be more concerned about this. Um, and it's, 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 or, um, it, it He's reminds a quantum
0: me- physicist.
1: Oh, it uh this movie reminds me of a lot of different movies that have all kind of done these same tropes. Um because I, I just I just keep thinking of more movies that have done this like let's bring all of these different people of different backgrounds together to solve a problem. Um, but with all of that being said, I I liked this version of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think that it is unique enough um i think that it is um because it, i've i've never seen anything like this like they're in like an old like an old library or something that's they're been, in the
0: basement of a church
1: yes that's been now kind of like because of the the spirit of 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 satan or whatever is in this ooze is like powerful enough to sway um people and things of little mind basically and so like all of the all of the homeless people in the street end up end up being like an, a, a mindless zombie and like Mob, yeah and all of like the blah of uh, the the like bugs and things are like acting strangely and like trying to like covering the windows like there's one scene where there's a bunch of worms just like covering a window and they're like how odd is they all just like continue to do their thingamadoo on, like, really old 80s computers. Um, And slowly, one by one, they get picked off like an alien.
0: No, yeah, well, and and that's exactly the sort of classic setup for for slashers and, and also for mystery films that are like an Agatha Christie thing, you know? Yeah. You get everyone together that has the particular background that's sort of a cultural shorthand. Mm-hmm. For some type of person.
1: No, yeah, they were like the Power Rangers. There was mm-hmm. there was the black one and the red one and the yellow one and the blue one. Like there was, they all had their gift.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, heart.
1: Um, <laughs> That's right.
0: Oh uh, God, so... Captain
1: Planet! I love that. Love you. Uh
0: no, I think I think you're right. I think that. I think that it it definitely. F- uses that structure very distinctly um and carpenter talks about how the fact that like the mob of of like the homeless was definitely also a device to kind of like keep them trapped in the location
1: oh yeah no it works really well they like barricade them at one point Mm -hmm. but then the next scene i don't know if you noticed this everything was gone
0: don't worry about that
1: (laughs) it was it was like poof it was all an illusion where it might have been the, the spawn of satan being born or something i don't know uh
0: i think that everyone does a pretty good job for the most part there are a lot of characters in it you know mm-hmm. especially comparatively to like you know halloween um
1: yeah um they're only distinct by basically the fact that we have a pretty diverse cast for the for for the 80s you know and and that helps a little bit you're like oh you know there's there's the white girl who's our who's our free spirit girl and 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 then there's like you know i don't know the stuffy one yeah yeah the there's the the asian guy who's like kind of an asshole you know
0: uh you've got our leading man with the mustache
1: oh it's terrible
0: uh you've got our old guy. Yes. Not Donald Pleasance and not the not Professor Barack Barack. Um but the old white guy. That's like one of the other professors.
1: Oh yeah, that's just like around. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. You got the bald guy. Mm hmm. Um and then you do have Donald Pleasance, and I think that John Carpenter he talks about just wanting to have worked with Don Pleasance again. And I think that he just really enjoyed listening to Donald Pleasance's monologue.
1: Oh, and yeah. And so he
0: definitely wrote, like, a very monologue-heavy part for Donald Pleasance.
1: And it's really funny how, um, and this is no knock at, at Donald Pleasance whatsoever, but um for the most part, like, his priest... Uh, I, a priest right his, his name is just priest <laughs> i didn't even know that they didn't even give him a name um well his his performance is priest and and donald and um loomis and loomis are almost like the same type of character you know they're very the one who's like i know that something's coming evil is among us you should all be wary and everybody else is like ah crazy crackpot old man i think uh
0: this is the more timid version Mm -hmm. sort of of that character type he's a little bit more of a mousy presence compared to loomis i think
1: no yeah but i love the fact that he was like i love him put him right back where i had him before perfect fit
0: you know (laughs) one to one no yeah
1: it's, it's 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 great um but um no i think that you're right i think that the performances are they're good, you know. I think that there are definitely more some standouts in this, but for the most part, like I really enjoyed the ride. I really enjoyed trying to figure out what was happening, um because they they do that thing that horror movies do, where they don't tell the characters a lot of information, and so you, as the audience member, are therefore confused for a good portion of the movie as well. Until you finally figure out what's actually happening, and somebody like gives you an exposition speech that tells you like all of the plot that you missed. Um, I love the poster for this, by yeah. the way. Uh, it looks like a like a weird lava lamp man's face getting sucked away. Um,
0: um, what I think Carpenter also does really well is um, the uh, in this particular movie as well is it has great use of the location um i think that carpenter overall is really good actually in his films overall with having a lot of good like sort of geography awareness and use of the space mm-hmm. um because so much of halloween really only takes especially in the last part only takes place in those two houses um, no
1: yeah i and, agree
0: and so i think that he does a good job of that here um And of also making the space feel good and claustrophobic. Um, Also, this movie has some pretty gnarly, nasty gore.
2: Especially
0: in, in the case of the woman who gets possessed by the liquid. She looks horrifying.
1: Oh, and I guess because... So, um... Oh, you mean the one who's like the 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 impregnated one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. She looks she looks like death. Um where the other one's just kind of so, okay. Okay. Sorry. I have a whole thought to unpack right now. Mm-hmm. Um I thought it was an inch I thought it was interesting other than like our main possessed woman who like ends up looking like Freddy Krueger on a bad day. Um I think that it each of them I, I I kept watching them and each of their individual choices of what this character of what it was to be like possessed by a, a bit of Satan and a, basically be, be be a dead person you know like zombified mindless army just that all only goal is to create more of self honestly like a zombie um, but then there was the black guy,
0: who was doing something different.
1: Who was doing something different, and I, I was intoxicated watching him. I was like, I wanted, I want to know what's going on with you specifically so badly, because it was almost like, like watching like a sad clown, you know, where he would do this like immense laughter and then like basically like go to tears. And all of this emotion, where everybody else was so still, and so stagnant, and it was, it was just really, just fascinating to watch him. Um, especially, I thought that he was more interesting than our on our main, our main girl who ends up getting like possessed. Well, not like our main girl, but like the possessed one. I thought that she was just just fine in her possession i felt like she was like this makeup's gonna do all of the acting that i need right now so like
2: yeah and it did
1: it did it did do it but like she was just kind of there for the ride whereas like he was i want to know why i really do and maybe that's just like me as an actor but like it was so cool
0: well on a certain level he also is the only one that does the like like self harm yeah um so maybe on some level he was trying to fight it. Maybe more than the others.
1: Maybe and because like he he ends up singing when he's walking up the stairs at one point and it's a it's a church song. Mm-hmm. And it's um oh gosh, yeah, I just it just it it took me the whole thing. I I really wanted to I wanted more of him.
0: Mhm. No, I I um I agree. I thought that he did a tremendous job. Um, you are right. He is one of the one of the more standout possessions of the film. Um,
1: that one and the one that I, I'll call Beetlejuice.
0: The one yes. with the bugs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, no, but overall, I, I think that you're really spot on with that. Um, it is maybe a little bit slow at times for me. Mm-hmm. But once it really gets cooking, it gets cooking.
1: Yeah, um I will I will completely agree with that. I gosh, what is this movie called?
0: Prince of Darkness.
1: Prince of Darkness. So we talked about this earlier at, at lunch, but I have a really hard time with the names of these movies. Both of them. Both of them. And um it's because I find them so just like I guess generically interchangeable almost at a certain point. Like I could call the other one Prince of Darkness, just as much as I could call this one Prince of Darkness, and I could call this one Deadly Blessing just as much as I could have called that one Deadly Blessing. So it's like a it's for me I'm just like ah it's 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 movie name torture honestly it's it's one of the the the, the harder combos for me. Because also, I guess for me, it wasn't very clear of what the, the the science mumbo-jumbo led to them discovering that, like, Satan was in another dimension. Like, which which buttons were you guys pushing? You know, which science buttons were you pushing? Because um, it was just a bunch of gobbledygook at certain points in... <laughs>
0: I guess it was a mixture of, like, calculation and translation. I mean, yeah. I also... I think it was, like, I, I think that it was, like, spitting out a sequence of numbers.
1: This was such, like, a doomsday movie in the sense that, like, they could only get one of everybody. Almost like the, the arc or something where you're like, oh, we can only get just the minimum number of things in here. We can't have, like, a whole team of, like people working on translating the book. We can't get a whole team of people who do advanced techno mathematics. We we only get one of everybody. Like that's 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 the worst way to do that. You've got an imminent threat coming in and they're like we can only find ten of the smartest people in the world. Well oh,
0: it's because this also had to stay hush hush.
1: Ah, oh, that's such a that's such a crutch in itself for a movie. Yeah you could have actually like maybe solved your problems if you had enough people to solve your problems no it makes it seem like everybody in the world is just either these five smart people or the ten homeless people outside and that is it where is everybody else
0: they're not necessary <laughs>
1: Nobody else in that town, nobody was watching walking down the street one day and going those homeless people are doing some weird stuff they've been stalking that one building for a while they've barricaded it should we should we put this on the news?
0: maybe they were in a bad part of town
1: <laughs> I mean maybe that's so unlucky for for this for this church I guess I guess that's why I could have the spirit of satan's um maybe baby goo in in a tube in the basement
0: yeah you know it's it's like a more quiet, abandoned part of town, because, like, that church had seen better days.
1: Well, yeah, but, like, also, there are a lot of churches that you could say that about. I don't know where those tithes go.
0: Um, apparently that was a church in downtown L.A.
1: Oh. Uh. That makes sense for also, like, it being something easy for them to do in L.A. Um.
0: And the basement was actually, um, from like an abandoned hotel.
1: Oh, that's it was that makes way more sense cuz it was huge down there.
0: And a that, lot of built-in production value.
1: That 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 building was enormous. Mm-hmm. Um it really felt bigger on the inside than it did when you looked at it from the outside. Like it was it it, it was expansive under there.
0: So cavernous. If you had had to give Prince of Darkness a score out of out of five what would you give it
1: um i think that i'll give prince of darkness hmm i think i'll give prince of darkness a three and a half um yeah and like again i think that this movie is is super fun like i i would totally watch it again um i just have i have a I have a lot of questions (laughs) i think more so than i did about the other one like it was the other one was very like straightforward this one like tried to wrap itself in like smart lingo and i was like what on earth are you guys saying do you know
0: the actors don't
1: No, and that's the that was was part of the problem (laughs) but honest um some standout performances all all around um Nobody that I had really seen before other than the people that I've seen before. Um, but, like, most of the cast was, like... New new, to you. new faces, yeah. I guess that's what, you know, Glenn talks about with the the whole... um you, yeah, don't, you don't need a star. You don't need a star. It can just be anybody because the horror fans will come to see some horror.
0: Yeah. Um, no, I'll go, I'll go three and a half as well. I think that it's an interesting direction... I don't think that it it necessarily nails everything that it goes for. But I do think that it does a lot right. I think it has a lot of great atmosphere. I think it's got a somewhat, um, you know, sort of uh, tragic ending that mm-hmm. works really effectively. Um, and mm-hmm. it has that great sort of twist cut off ending as well that I think works better here than it did in Deadly Blessing because it also sort of leaves it off on a cliffhanger yeah um and I thought it was really good I I not perfect but very very enjoyable
1: yeah um I mean for me this movie was like one step away from like having maybe a Buster Rhymes kung fu fight in it and I think that that might have that might have helped it <laughs> No, no, um, jokes aside, I loved them digging through the world's thickest wall to get, get homie out of the, out of the closet. I, I was like, he's right there, he's right there, and they just kept adding thickness to that wall, I swear. They were like, crap, they got through the drywall too quick, it's actually brick. (laughs) That was the part that, but it's not just brick, it's, it's like three layers of bricks thick. Uh. I don't, I don't, I'm not an architect, but <laughs> I think that that was plot.
0: Uh, <laughs> I don't know what you mean. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I think, I think that the wall definitely was a little convenient, especially for people that were apparently talking through it.
1: Yeah, they were just chatting and, like, not, like, screaming through this wall, like, truly imagine being on two opposite sides of, like, a concrete wall. Yeah. Because, like, the rest of the room isn't concrete. It's just... It's just this, this one brick wall. Like, it's it's just... Why? Um, How is this even the same building?
0: But, beyond that... Old construction. I think that this was a, a good f- sort of first start for religious horror it sort of tackles it in very different ways
1: no yes 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 also um this one is um way more like upfront. i think with like what it's about whereas like the other one could be like interpretation you know what do you think it's about i think that this one is like no it's like the spawn of satan or something
0: no yeah this one um with deadly blessing, religion is a part of it, and it drives a lot of the suspense and atmosphere. But at the very end of that movie, it's not really the thing that's that's the villain.
1: No, yeah. Whereas, like this one is like it's it's a vampire story. It is but
0: man versus you know monster. evil yeah. of a religious type.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, this isn't man versus man. This is man versus some, some supernatural force. And, yeah.
0: And so this one definitely does tackle it way more, way more directly. Um, well, I guess it's been kind of a, a lengthy episode because of uh, the interview portions as well
1: yes so um
0: do we just want to sort of do what we're what we've been watching and then yeah and
1: let's um
0: let them let them go and enjoy the rest of their life in peace
1: oh yeah i need to i need to remember to close this notebook the the pages are are very much starting to, to rip out of our dear movie notebook um mm. maybe maybe i'll put the put the the in a binder, I don't maybe. know, maybe. Um, but what we've been watching recently is um, so literally the only movie that we watched between the April Fool's Day episode and this episode was Death Becomes Her. Together. Yes,
0: for uh, for Bruce Willis, we watched that actually after we recorded last week's episode. Um, that was our date night movie.
1: Yes, 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 yes. Um, what did you
0: think of Death Becomes Her?
1: oh i thought it was a great movie i thought it was super campy um but you know me i love a campster piece um i thought that everybody did a phenomenal job i don't i
0: great bruce willis performance
1: yeah really different than like what we usually see him do um which is very like action man joe kind of kind of thing where this one he was just like an everyday guy who who kind of like I don't know stumbled upon some luck but then just cut, became miserable and like he was just kind of like like an accountant is how I would call his character like whatever your visual in your mind you think of an accountant like that's, that's what his character was
0: yeah you know he, he's the one out of the three of them they all kind of have a similar underlying problem
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is this internal dissatisfaction mm-hmm. and you know he's the only one that finally learns the lesson yeah you know out of the three of them and he plays it with a lot of heart and a lot of charm because it could be an unlikable character yeah
1: he could be he could be an asshole he could be he could be um some scummy dude that you're like i want the worst for you but like he does i think that you're right he um he is likable enough that when he gets his his happy ending that like it's 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 good it's worth it you know even though like he did do wrong like, he's he's become a different person. He's metamorphosized, whereas, like, they didn't change. Yeah. You know, um, I think that I don't get to see a, a lot of Michelle Pfeiffer's career. That's Michelle Pfeiffer, right? No. No, that was Goldie Hawn. Yeah. Oh, see? Damn it, I do this all of the time, where people who have, like, similar facial structure, where I just go, yeah, like, mental swap. Um, I haven't seen a lot of Goldie Hawn's career, like, at all. And so it was nice to to see. I've seen a lot of her daughter, um, Kate Hudson. Kate Hudson's career, because like she was in everything when we were growing up. It's felt like, um, but like Goldie, never got to see anything of her. It was really nice to to watch something with her. Young Meryl, Meryl Streep is fantastic in any age you can get her. But this was this was truly a funny character that I really enjoyed watching. And she is she is she's got a lot of physical comedy that's like.
2: Perfect.
0: She's she's really funny. She's She's, shockingly funny.
1: Yeah, you wouldn't know, because, like, I think we we have this idea of who she is now, and we're like, oh, you know... Meryl. Meryl, like, Oscar-winning, you know, best actor female, Meryl. Whereas, like, this was... She's... I don't know how old she is in this, but, like, she's definitely much younger, and so, like... She's probably not as well known as she is now. You know, less less demigod worthy status. Yeah. In the acting community, but like I think that that's also then why she can be so so funny and so loose and so mm-hmm. interesting in this because she doesn't have to worry about being like also the woman who did Julie and Julia. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, the Iron Lady. Exactly. Um, no, I think that I and like them as our three main cast is is such a fun dynamic uh, group of people. Really, really enjoyed this movie. Really good. Um, would recommend would watch again. You yeah, know. it's one that I would pick up. Yeah, for sure. Um, it was a it was a surprise one for me because I had never heard of this movie before we watched it, and when we had been discussing watching um a Bruce Willis movie um in honor of, of of our dear Brucey, um. We, I had been thinking about like all the movies that I watched him in, and they're all kind of you know his action phase. Like I, but this was this was so fun when you recommended, like a weird. Um, campy dark comedy uh sign me sign me the hell on up
0: (laughs) um no and i wanted. i was curious about it because i hadn't seen it either um and i'm definitely glad that i did
1: yeah for sure
0: um beyond that i've watched the 2014 godzilla Mm
1: -hmm.
0: uh still great i wrote a review about it on letterboxd um the movie knows how to use and introduce scale and the size of these creatures well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it knows how to also hold back on the goods um, in a way that builds, I think, good tension. Because you get plenty of beats with the Mutos throughout the movie, but it's like, it's like an almost hour into that movie before you finally see Zilla.
1: And I think that that's perfectly acceptable. I think that people are so afraid nowadays when they. We make, gotta
0: show Freddy. Right now, know. in the
1: first five minutes, or else, like, we can't have a teaser. We can't have a taste. We gotta give people, like, a never ending loop de loop roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't get a moment to be like, all right, that was nice. Oh, and then a hill. Like, you're like, no, we're just in constant action. Well, and
0: honestly, then you kind of, I think, on a certain level after a few movies if you want to do more of them run out of creative steam cuz it's like what how many how many situations can i really put this character in mhm you know how many times can i show godzilla in a way that's interesting still
1: but i think that i think that to your point that having um him not show up for like the first hour of the movie is like Works great it's, it's a great choice because then you know you're not watching a godzilla movie in the sense that like you're watching godzilla, you know, do his day-to-day things. You're watching a godzilla movie in the sense of it's it's a um it's exactly what it was supposed to be, which is um a disaster film. Yeah. So you're watching it from the from the perspective of the people trying to stop twister the disaster. Twister doesn't
0: have one twister happening in it for the entire movie. That would uh- Twister has multiple twisters.
1: And they come and they go, and then there's plot between them.
0: Yeah, um, you know, definitely some of the human stuff, as has been discussed by by so many people, doesn't work as well as I would like it to. But for the most part, I think it's great. Um, also, I recently rewatched the remake of Three Ten to Yuma. Yes, hell of a western. Um, 2007, I would say is kind of a year that, that reinvigorated the Western because you had like 310 to Yuma, there will be blood, which is a kind of Western, um, and no country for old men.
1: What year now that you've you've used-
0: 2007.
1: No, that wasn't my question. I was going to ask you, what year did Cowboys vs. Aliens come out?
0: Um, After that, like 2009.
1: Okay, okay.
0: 2010, because it was after Iron Man 2.
1: Okay, because I was, I was going to say that that's also within this renaissance mm-hmm. of, of us getting a lot of westerns, but like, God, that was such a weird Daniel Craig performance.
0: It was supposed to be a Robert Downey performance.
1: Oh. Because it's directed
0: by Jon Favreau, but he and Robert had a fallout over how Iron Man 2 was perceived.
1: Oh my gosh. Um,
0: And so Robert backed out. Wow. It's a fun fact about that movie for you.
1: Now all I can think about is that movie, but with Robert Downey in it, and like how it changes Mm -hmm. it, and like... I don't know if it's better or not yet, but this is this is right. I after think he's going to
0: end up doing more physical comedy with trying to get it off. Mm. I think it's going to become a bodier performance. Well, that's
1: what I was thinking. I was like, this isn't. This is. He would probably lean more into the, like that Sherlock mm-hmm. feel of it, you know, because like westerns aren't that far away from like that era, but in British British history, you know.
0: No, he'd lean into he'd lean into what he did which is why he he did the part well and what he's why he still pulls out those tricks the Chaplin stuff.
1: mm mm-hmm. Mhm. No, yeah.
0: Um but yeah, um 310 to Yuma fantastic movie I really recommend it. It's got Alan Tudyk, America's best character actor. Um These
1: are the facts.
0: And um no, it's a, it's a really solid damn good western, you know? That's why James Mangold did so well with with Logan later on is because he definitely just knows how to make a western and and what they're about thematically
1: Three Ten to Yuma sounds like it should be a Cohen movie because the Coens name their movies whatever the hell they feel like
0: <laughs> no i oh i i I know how you feel about Cohen titles um,
1: <laughs> what's a lebowski if you really if you didn't know what is it
0: no that's fair.
1: I thought it was a heist movie it's the big Lebowski <laughs> I was so... I didn't know.
0: Um, (laughs) But that's pretty much all that we've been watching lately. Um, We haven't even gotten caught up on Moon Knight this week.
1: Oh, no, but we can do that this weekend.
0: Yeah. Um, That's pretty much all that we have for y'all. Be sure to come and... uh, We have a bonus episode coming out Saturday. So be sure to check back on podcast or on our website um for that of course check us out at thefilmbuds.com or at any of our social media um you can listen to a longer version of the interview with Glenn on his website once I have information on that I'll I'll keep you all up to date on where you can go and listen to that um I'll also link all of Glenn's websites and stuff like that down below. Um, On Monday, the 11th, there's also going to be a review for the straight-to-video film Wormwood Apocalypse. And you can go and you can read my review of that. Um, our, Our review coming up on Saturday is going to be Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh, the new A24 film from the director duo Daniels uh See? starring Michelle Yeoh and Jamie Lee Curtis. So definitely come back to hear how we feel about that. Um and I think that's pretty much everything. Yeah. Oh, also of course next week when we do Midnight Mass.
1: Yes, yes, please come back. Um I'm I'm excited about it. Yeah, hell yeah. I can't wait to to jar on and on and on about that. (laughs) So stay tuned.
0: No, it's going to be a great time. Um, dear, anything else that you want to say to listeners?
1: Um, I'm sorry for anybody who was offended by how much I, 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 I talked poorly, I guess about religion, um, to each their own, but I am a sorrys. (laughs)
0: um, No, you know, religion is, is, you know, for a lot of people, a very touchy subject. And we certainly don't mean any offense um, by anything that we said. Um, And yeah, you know, to each their own. Religion is a very personal choice. And, you know, if that's your your cup of tea, take a sip. Uh, Yeah. So. Take
1: a sip for me, I guess.
0: Yeah. Beyond that, though. That's pretty much all that we have for y'all. Religious horror is of course, a very interesting theme to tackle, and it'll it expresses itself very differently,
1: yeah, yeah, it's just, in it, in
0: next week's uh
1: I mean, just from these two alone, honestly yeah. i I think all of the things that we've chosen are are very different flavors,
0: yeah, because also you know, in both instances also you know religious figures do ultimately in some way play a part in in the saving of the day.
2: Oh.
1: Interesting, mm-hmm. interesting, interesting. More
0: on that at 11. Uh, so not without merit.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. But yeah, thanks as always for listening. Be sure to check out everything that we have coming up. Be sure to check out everything that we've already done. And we'll chat with y'all next week. Bye. Bye.